chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I'm a tone, I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quites and all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul ever since you met. had stage fright and David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are say I'm just a nobody trying to tell me You know, who is East Tailsville Baptist Church? I think that song basically sums it up. We're just a bunch of nobodies, aren't we? Trying to tell everybody about somebody who has changed us, who loves us, who's called us out. Uh, it's the one that we are here to worship. He is the one we're here to worship. He's the reason we do what we do. So we are so thankful that you could join us here today. 
And uh, at this time of the service, we always welcome our guests. And if you are visiting with us or maybe you've slipped in and out over the past few weeks as we've come back inside, we would encourage you as a guest to please stop by our welcome table. It's in the uh, lobby out front. We'd encourage you to pick up a guest bag. In that bag is a little booklet that has, when we get back to normal, what it's going to look like as we get back to our normal Sunday school schedule or Wednesday night schedule. So please stop by there. We'd love to uh, find out who you are and how we can serve you. But welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And as you're standing, I just want to begin our service with prayer. So if you would join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We just worship you today. We thank you for all that you've done for us, that we can be together in this room. Lord, we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your promises. And God, we pray that through this service, you'd be honored and glorified in all that we do. We tell you we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Say hello to your neighbors, wave at them, and welcome them to the service.
Thank you. I want you to be seated just for a moment. We're going to show a two-minute video. He is Lord of all through the storm. Laura, the uh, storm that came through, one of the largest storms in 150 years. But I want you to watch. We support North Carolina Baptist on mission. It's an offering that we give. It's in your bulletin. And as soon as they play this video, then I'm going to have prayer. We're going to pray for those needs, okay? You guys, if you'll show this video. Thank you. Helping the community of Morgan get some trees removed off homeowners' lots and yards and houses. They had a tornado come through here and reached out to Baptist on Mission. So we loaded up and we're out here taking logs off houses. I explained it to a group that was coming out to help us. And they were like, what can you do? I'm an older person. I'm this, I'm that, I'm a girl. Well, if you can pick a broom up and sweep, you're helping a homeowner. So if I can just carry a log and put it in a pile, I'm helping a homeowner. If I can lift, if I can tote, if I can throw, I can help. The North Carolina Missions Offering supports 19 different ministries of Baptists on Mission. Disaster relief volunteers respond to natural disasters in North Carolina, the United States, and nearby countries. We're here to help people with physical needs so we can help them also spiritually. And we do it because we want to carry the gospel to them and we want to see people saved. That's why we do it. It shows that there's some really nice people in the world. Come out and give you a heaven hand, you know, and I'm glad they're doing what they're doing, you know, to help. And I really, really, really appreciate it. Probably one of the most rewarding things that you can do is to give back to someone who needs you. Jesus would be in the community and helping. And if we're supposed to be living a Christ-like life, then we need to be doing the same thing. We thank you so much for every dollar that's given to the North Carolina Missions Offering so that we can do what we do to reach the people for Jesus and hopefully make this a better world. One person, one church can do good. All of us working together we can change the state, and we can change the world. We need to be compelled with Christ's love to help those hurting. 8,000 homes were destroyed or damaged. We don't know what that's like. Many of you have been on the field helping people, and we're going to pray about a certain things for our mission offering. I hope you'll give to that, that you might help uh, reach those in need. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you said to, to love our brother whom we have seen. And we don't love him. We don't love you. And Father, we pray for this offering that you'd use it for your glory and for your honor. We pray, Father, for the disaster relief volunteers in North Carolina as they move and are on standby to move in areas that are most needed. Father, we pray for church planters and churches that will be planting churches across North Carolina. Father, we pray for the physical and spiritual needs of those who serve through medical and dental and health screenings and ministries. Father, we pray for the mission camps in Red Springs and Shelby and all the many other needs. But Father, we pray you'd use us as your people, Lord, to volunteer and to go. 
Lord, you've called us. Help us to be obedient. Lord, as we see our neighbor in need, may we have the love of Christ and go help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ. 
much. As our praise team's going down, just a couple of announcements I need to make. At the end of the service, um, after I have prayer, we're going to ask those that will be joining the church to come forward. And we'll ask you to come here uh, to this pew, or row right here. Then I'll call you up individually, and we'll vote on you individually. And then after that, we'll ask you to be seated, and then we'll uh, ask any of the visitors that want to leave, they can, because we have to have a business meeting at the end of the service, and we're going to be voting on deacons this morning. Uh, we'll be voting on the nominate committee report. We'll also be voting on our um, budget finance report. So all those things need to be done uh, this morning, so we'll take care of that. It will not take real long. So just wanted to give you that update here before we get started. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you'll stand with me, we're going to read two verses. We've been in Romans chapter 8, I guess, for about the last eight weeks. It's been called the greatest chapter in the Bible. And this morning, we want to talk about this topic, when God prays for us. Well, notice what Paul says in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, that points back to everything we've already been talking about. Likewise, the Spirit also, look at the word helps, helps us in our weaknesses. Look at the word weaknesses. Very important word that we'll talk about in just a moment. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And what Paul is saying is there's some times in your life that you, you think you know what you should pray about, but, but you don't. And what the Holy Spirit does with groanings, that we don't understand that, even commentaries don't really understand what this wordless groanings is. Okay, we all just guess, and I'm going to guess too, okay, this morning, is that the Holy Spirit takes your prayers, takes them to God, and sometimes they'll say, yeah, and then sometimes they'll say, no. You know why? Because God knows the future, does he not? God knows what's best for you. God knows, see, that's why sometimes you get the job and sometimes you don't. That's why sometimes some people are healed and sometimes people are not. Isn't that amazing how that happens? We as a church pray earnestly for some people to get healed, they get healed. We pray earnestly for other people to get healed and they don't. You know what God does? God says, I know what's best for you. I know the future. I know you don't. So thankfully God, through the Holy Spirit, can do that. Notice what he says in verse 29. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints. Now here it is. According to the will of God. We all say, God, your will be done. Okay? The sign of a mature Christian is when God's will is opposite or contrary to ours and we say, yes, Lord, I'll take this as your will. That's what Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 is all about. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we thank you for your word. Father, I'm reminded that when we are weak, you are strong. Lord, when we're going through sufferings, we need you more than we need healing. We need you more than we need to get out from under whatever we're facing. You told, you told Paul that your strength is made perfect in his weakness. And Lord, that's a sign of a mature Christian when they can come and say, Lord, it doesn't matter how long I'm under this thing, I'm trusting you, and I need you more than I need to get out of this situation. Father, I'm so thankful that when, when we don't think anybody's praying for us, the Bible says in Hebrews 7 that our high priest, Jesus, is interceding in heaven, and also the Holy Spirit, who is here with us, is interceding for us now. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you pray for us, and we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When I, when I first became a Christian, I was amazed at the number of people that would come to me and say this. Jamie Steele, did you realize that your name was in our church bulletins and Wednesday night prayer meeting, that we'd, we'd lift your name up to God in prayer? And I'd say, no, I didn't know that. 
got saved when I was 20, okay? Since that time, I can be in a restaurant, I can be at Walmart, of course, I'm there every day, and it's, it's not unusual for somebody to come up to me and say, Pastor, I just want you to understand that every day our family prays for you. Is that not a blessing? Is that not a blessing when somebody comes up to you and says, I'm praying for you? When you see the names in your bulletin, there are some people, that's their ministry. They just take that bulletin, they don't know the people, and they pray for them. But what, you know what's more amazing to me than that? Is that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for us. That's an amazing thought. That's, to me, that's just an amazing thought. That when you're going through your deepest, darkest times, you'll have your church praying for you, you'll have your family praying for you, but according to the Bible, Jesus and the Holy Spirit both pray for you. When God prays for us, what an amazing thought. Now think about this. We're going to look at four questions this morning. Number one is, why does God pray for us? Why does God pray for his children? Notice these three points, and then we'll talk about them in just a moment. We are weak. That's why he prays for us. We don't know the future. That's why he prays for us. And we don't know what's best for us. That's why he prays for us, according to the will of God. We are weak. We don't know the future. And we don't know what's best for us sometimes. Notice the verse on the screen. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us. Look at the word weaknesses. That word literally means this. When I've studied every commentary you could think of. And what this, what this word means is, it means that you're so weak at times in your life that you just can't go on. Spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. One of those areas, you're just so weak that you cannot go on. See, if you can help yourself, why does God need to help you? Have you ever, back when I used to run, okay, back in my crazy days when I would run, I remember practicing for a half marathon. That's 13 point whatever miles. There would be times because I'm so competitive with myself, I'd look at my watch and I'd say, I got to get under a certain minute mile. I have to. And I remember in the process of doing that, that I would be, at the end of that run, I would be so exhausted, so exhausted that I would say to myself, if I had to run for my life, I couldn't. If I had to fight for my life, I couldn't. If I had to do anything for my life, I couldn't because I can barely move my arms and move my legs and I still got to walk up here to my office at the church and get a drink of water. Have you ever been that exhausted spiritually? Have you ever been that exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally? That's what the word means. The Holy Spirit helps us when we can't help ourselves. It's, it's, when Jesus sent the disciples out in the boat during the storm, notice what the Bible says. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, then he saw them straining at rowing. What that means is they couldn't, do, they couldn't go any further. Straining at rowing. I can't row anymore. And the storm's getting worse. See, Jesus didn't go before then. They could help themselves. They were still rowing. That's what the word weakness means. I cannot go on anymore, and I need help. I need your help. Now look, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea just when they needed him. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It's the same thing physically, right? If, if I have a headache, most of the time I can take four ibuprofen, all right, and it's good to go. Why do I need to pray about that? But there are times when you have to pray. When we're in the Philippines, I remember Dr. Falkenberry coming to us, and he said, there's this little girl, she's two years old. She has no hope. None. They're not getting to a doctor from here. The only, the only chance she's got is God intervening. And I remember we all gathered around this little girl, crying our eyes out, praying for her healing. Because she had no hope. No hope. See, there are times in your life when you're weak, 
Nobody knows it but you. Emotionally, spiritually, you're just exhausted. I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit helps. What that word helps means is that this is literally what it means. There is a load that you cannot bear, and He carries it for you. When God prays for you, aren't you thankful that you have the Holy Spirit, God Himself, who says you can't see it, really you can't feel it, but by faith, He's here, and He's carrying the load for us. See, He prays for us when we're weak. He also prays for us because we don't know the future. Think about that. I remember back in 2007, 2008 when the economic crash hit, okay? And I remember men who had been working at companies for 20 years coming to my office saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've done this job for 20 years, and they may fire me. And we would pray that they wouldn't get fired, and guess what? They'd get fired. I need this job. i got to have this job. Who doesn't? And then I remember looking back a year later, seeing how these men's lives, God gave them better jobs. And some of them now are just flourishing. See, God knows what's best. He knows the future. How many of you, okay, have prayed for somebody? I remember James Montgomery Boyce, the, the great Presbyterian preacher. I got a lot of his commentaries. Love to hear him preach. He's with the Lord now. When he was diagnosed with cancer, he talked to his church. Now listen to what he says regarding how his church should pray for him. He had just found out. He said this, he said, there's no doubt, he said, that God can work miracles. But the God who worked miracles could have prevented the cancer in the first place. He asked prayer for the doctors that they might have wisdom in pursuing proper course of treatment. He spoke of the goodness of God that even his cancer is for his own good in the long run. He also recognized that humanly speaking, his life may well be measured in weeks, not months or years, and it was weeks. So he says, look, it may not be in God's will that I live on. We don't understand that, do we? We don't understand that. God knows the future. I don't know how many times I've prayed for something as far as work relations go, and God says no, and it works out for the best. Because God knows the future. God knows the future. And then God knows what's best for us, does he not? God knows what's best for us. This is played out in middle schools and high schools every year. When a young boy will pray for a girl and he says, I want to marry her. And aren't you thankful those prayers didn't get answered, some of y'all? Aren't you thankful? Because he turned out to be a serial killer or he turned out to be this, that, or the other. And you're like, man, I'm glad I didn't marry this person. You know, somebody should write a song like, thank God for unanswered prayers. That'd be a good country song. Somebody should probably do that. But aren't you thankful for unanswered prayers at times? You see, God, God knows that you're weak. He knows the future. He's sovereign. And he knows what's best for you. And he's interceding on your behalf. So when Jamie still prays these crazy prayers that I think I'm smarter than God, they just say, no, <laughs> no, it's not happening. We know you. We know your tendencies. We know your temptations. We know your, your spiritual gifts. We know your abilities. You're, you're where you need to be. Okay? Aren't you thankful for that? Not only that, but how? How does God pray for us? Think about this. Notice the verse on the screen. But the Spirit himself, look at the word makes intercessions. One scholar put it this way, that word intercessions, of course we know it means to entreat, make intercession, bring a petition to a king on behalf of someone else, ask for something with urgency. So that's how the Spirit is praying to the, to the king of kings. Now notice, the word, the verb here has the idea of rescue. 
has the idea of rescued by someone who finds someone in trouble and has no resources to deal with it. It's a verb that means saving a life that otherwise would be lost, and that's the point. The Holy Spirit rescues, and apart from Him, we wouldn't make it. Paul says the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. In those moments when we cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us, even in our weak, feeble, ignorant words, the Holy Spirit prays to God in groanings, and John MacArthur put it this way, he says, these groanings are the communication between the Spirit and the Father and the Son. This is the communication in the Godhead, and we don't understand it. We just don't. I don't know how many commentaries. It says that when God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit speak, we can't understand it, and we don't need to. The secret things belong to the Lord, God told Moses. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He says, as the indwelling Spirit alone knows how to interpret our needs... He makes his intercession within us, inspiring our yearnings, thus fulfilling his gracious function as the other comforter or advocate whom the Lord Jesus promised, a comforter of, that, of like character with himself. Since we know not what to pray for apart from his help, we are exhorted to pray at all times, in all seasons, with thankfulness. He goes on to say, creation groans, we groan, the Holy Spirit groans, according to Romans chapter 8. But the Spirit groans within us, and in doing so, strengthens us to bear our trials with confidence and courage, and at the same time, directs our hearts toward God. These groanings do not necessarily find expression in actual speech, but they're effective with God. Human language is, it would seem, not essential to divine intercession. How does God speak? With groanings that cannot be uttered. We don't understand those words, and it does not matter because we trust in God the Father. What does God pray for us? Notice verse 27. The Bible says this. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now what does God specifically pray for us majority of the time? Notice these two things. Number one, that we would endure in sufferings or that we would experience God's strength. It's over and over in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's all over the place. And also that our faith would be strengthened through life. That your faith would be strengthened. God's number one goal for you is to be more like Jesus. It's been predetermined. We'll look at that. That you be conformed into the image of Christ. All of life is conforming you into the image of Christ. But notice the third, first thing. That we would endure in sufferings. Think about this. God wants you to be strong while suffering through life. When Paul had the thorn in the flesh, the Bible says he prayed to the Lord three times. Three seasons of Paul's life. Not three times, but three distinct seasons. We don't know how long they were. Paul prayed, Lord, get this, take this thorn from me. He prayed three intense seasons. He prayed. He believed in God. He prayed that God could do it. He knew God could work miracles. And every time God said no. Every time he told him no. And then God says this. And he said to me, Paul is speaking. Then he says to me, God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And what that means, that word sufficient means, it just means that there's enough grace for that moment. Exactly enough. Not for yesterday, not for tomorrow, but for the present tense. It is exactly enough for this moment. Okay? Then he goes on to say this. Therefore, most gladly, no, he says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, there's the word, is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says this, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, 
for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God, take the thorn of, of the flesh from me. He prays three seasons of his life. It could have been years. We don't know. God tells him no and tells him why, and Paul says, I'll take it. I'd rather have this than not have it. Because having this, I become strong in Christ. I trust Christ or rely on Christ. Isn't it amazing that it takes hard times for us to have three seasons of prayer? It takes hard times for us to pray like we should. Isn't it amazing? And Paul says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. All throughout Scripture, we see the same thing. Notice Psalm 37 says this, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Psalm 27, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart may fail. Now think about that. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isaiah 41 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when you're going through suffering, God is praying for, that you will experience and submit to his strength in your life. And then, notice, God is, the Holy Spirit is constantly praying for your faith. John MacArthur put it this way, the reason your faith will endure to the end is not just because of you, because we're weak and fallen, but because the Holy Spirit ministry is to pray for your faith. Didn't Jesus tell Peter that? Notice on the screen in Luke 22, I believe it is. Notice, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Now think about this. Satan has asked us, the Godhead, for you, that he might sift you as wheat, rip you apart, rip you to shreds. But I have prayed for you, he says, that your faith should not fail. Just what the Holy Spirit's doing now. And what Hebrews 7 says Jesus is doing now is that God is praying for your faith. He said, Peter, I'm praying for your faith that it might not fail. Now, we know Peter denied Jesus three times. Some scholars say up to six times. And whenever he denied him, he basically said this, I swear to Jehovah that I do not know Jesus. That's what he said. I swear to God the Father that I do not know this man. And then you remember the cock crowed and he started weeping. Jesus said, I pray that your faith will not, that word means utterly fail. It failed, we all fail. Then Jesus says this, when you have returned, when you have returned, that word means repented. Jesus is already telling him before, you're going to fail, you're not going to utterly fail, you're going to repent, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He's saying, you're gonna, Satan's going to sift you. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to pray that your faith not utterly fail, even though you're going to fall. But when you return, strengthen my brethren. He returned and wrote two of the greatest epistles in the Bible. Isn't it amazing? First and Second Peter are wonderful, wonderful epistles. We went verse by verse through First Peter 1, uh, the, the first epistle on Wednesday nights, and we'll do it on Sunday mornings here soon. Wonderful epistle. Why did it happen? Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit was praying for his faith. What's more important than your faith? Absolutely, positively nothing. Nothing is more important than your faith. And the Holy Spirit is praying for you, praying for your faith. Think about that. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, talking about Jesus, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. 
MacArthur put it this way. If you know, if you've been saved, the Bible says it's been predetermined that we're conformed to the image of Christ. If the Holy Spirit's praying for your faith, if Jesus is praying for your faith, okay, he says this. This is John MacArthur. How could you lose your salvation when you're covered so many ways? It can't happen. He goes on to say, how could you ever lose your salvation when the Spirit of God is continually interceding for you along with Christ in heaven so that nothing ever comes into your life that could destroy your faith or could destroy God's commitment to you? Then MacArthur mentions this, talking about the Holy Spirit's work. Ephesians 1.13 You were sealed in Him, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your, our inheritance with the view of redemption, of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is a seal. Every Roman and every Jew would understand what he's talking about. In ancient times, a king would have a ring, and if he wanted to seal something, that meant it was either his authority or he had authority over it, he would, he would seal it with wax. He would seal a letter with wax. If you opened the letter, you would die. When they, when they sealed Jesus' tomb, they sealed it. That's why they know that no man moved the seal because Rome would have killed you. That, an angel did it. In the Old Testament, a seal was a, a picture of divine authority, which meant this is mine. And MacArthur goes on to say, so the Holy Spirit is the mark of our security. And only one greater than God could break the seal, and no such one exists, right? And the seal is the Holy Spirit of promise. That simply means the Holy Spirit, who is connected with the fulfillment of God's promise. And what is God's promise? To bring us to glory. Your salvation is secure you can never be unsaved or lose it because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and He constantly prays for your faith. When God prays for us, is that not a blessing? So if we look at these three things that we know why God prays for us, how God prays for us, and what God prays for us, the question is this. Let me ask you this question. Shouldn't you have confidence when you pray? Shouldn't you have utmost confidence when you pray? That, that the Holy Spirit's going to take your prayers make them right in God's sight and answer it according to his will why would you not pray so here's the final question church let me ask you this question do you pray do you pray now think about this for a minute you got all these spiritual blessings you got the Holy Spirit that's going to take our, our, our prayers that are oftentimes outside the will of God and they're going to take them and make them right before God. Spurgeon put it this way, never give up praying. Even when Satan suggests that prayer is in vain, do as Paul told Timothy, pray without ceasing. If the heavens are brass and your prayers only echoes above your head, pray on. If month after month your prayer appears to have miscarried, if you have no answer, continue to draw close to the Lord. Do not abandon the mercy seat for any reason. If it is a good thing that you have been asking for, and if you're sure that it is according to divine will, wait, tarry, pray, weep, plead, wrestle, and agonize until you get what you're praying for. If your heart is cold, do not wait till your heart is warm. You don't feel like praying, so what? I, don't, I didn't feel like taking a shower this morning, but I'm thankful I did, and you are too, I'm sure. Pray your soul into heat with the help of the ever-blessed Spirit who helps in our weaknesses, who makes intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, Never cease prayer for any reason. Pray without ceasing. Never, never, never renounce the habit of prayer or you're confident in the prayer itself. So let me ask you this question. I remember Adrian Rogers. I watched one of his messages on prayer, Bellevue. 
Man, he's one of the greatest speakers I've ever heard. He said, Bellevue Baptist Church, do you believe in prayer? And everybody's like, yeah. He says, well, then why don't you pray? And he got deathly quiet. He says, did you really pray? Do you really pray? Do you realize that prayerlessness is a sin? Prayerlessness is a sin. Samuel tells us in the Old Testament, whenever he went before the people. Now listen to this. The prophet Samuel certainly viewed prayerlessness as a sin. When he confronted the people of Israel with their sin of rejecting the leadership of God and wanting a king, they cried out under conviction. This is what they cried out. Pray for us. His response is compelling for us today. As for me, he says, far be from it that I sin against God by failing to pray for you. He understood that as a leader of Lord's people, it would be a sin for him to be prayerless. Now, it's a sin for us to be prayerless as well. I want to ask you this one question. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. I ask myself this often. Ingrain this in your mind. What are you expecting God to do this week because of the prayers you prayed last week? How many people are you expecting to come into the kingdom of God because of your prayers for the lost? How many? Think about it right now. How many? How many? How many people are you expecting God to open doors for you to witness to because you prayed hard for them last week? Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? How do you see your marriage changing because of the prayers you prayed for yourself and your spouse? Last week. God, I'm expecting it this week because I prayed hard for it last week and I'm expecting to see it this week. How do you see your attitude at work changing because God says when you work, work as un unto the Lord, which is, which is a command? How, how do you expect your, your, your attitude and yourself to change because you prayed hard about it last week? How many of you expect your children to be saved? Because they're young and they're lost or they're older and they're lost because you prayed that hard for them last week. Think about that. How many of you expect your church going through COVID and all this? How many of you expect your church to have provide the right type of leadership because you prayed so hard for your church last week? Think about what are you expecting God to do this week because of the prayers you prayed last week? See, sometimes that hits me hard too. And sometimes I have to repent of prayerlessness. Sometimes I have to repent because of a lack of faith. Sometimes I have to repent because I'm not committed as much as I should be to prayer. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And being honest with the Lord, if you need to repent of prayerlessness, do it. Repentance is a blessing. Every blessing of God comes through the funnel of repentance. Repent because of a lack of faith, that's fine. And today, commit yourself to prayer. And as you're praying, let me ask you this question. What are you expecting God to do this week because of the prayers you prayed last week? And if you're here today, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and you want to trust Christ alone for your salvation, the Bible says you do that basically by placing faith and through prayer. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, we thank you, Lord, that right now you're praying for us. Lord, you're praying for all your children. Father, that should give us great confidence when we pray. It should give us great confidence when we are suffering. It should give us great confidence when we're weak. It should give us great confidence in our salvation. I'm so thankful it's eternal. We've been sealed until the day of redemption. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we love you, Father. 
In Jesus' name I pray. And once again, all of God's people said together, amen. All right, guys, we're going to ask you to cut the live feed off, and we're going to come into now this time. Uh, I would just want to show a couple things before I call people.